Hello, and welcome to the long-awaited, much-anticipated episode 301 of Teacher Tech Talk. I'm your host, Tom Varnum, the Digital Learning Specialist for the Tingsboro Public School District in Tingsboro, Massachusetts. It's been a while since our last episode, but we're still dealing with COVID and all the challenges it brings to education. I hope that you and yours have survived and thrived during this time. My guest this week is Kevin Redman, the longtime English teacher at Tingsboro High School. I spoke with him in April of 2020 when we first went into our remote learning model. I thought I'd check back in with him now that we are halfway through the 2020-2021 school year. For those of you who are not familiar with our district, we have been using a concurrent teaching model since mid-September. Half our students are in person on Monday, Tuesday, the other half remote. Uh, they switch roles on Thursday and Friday, and everybody is remote on Wednesday. So teachers are teaching both groups at the same time every day. So it's particularly challenging in the classroom when you've got half your kids in front of you and half the kids remote. So as a result of that, every class period we're using Google Meet and Google Classroom. Let's begin by having Kevin introduce himself. All right, so uh, I'm Kevin Redman. I am a high school English teacher. Uh, in my 22nd year as a teacher, all of them here at Tingsboro High School, so they can't get rid of me. That's good. Uh, I've been here longer, though. Yes, you have been. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're hopefully three quarters of the way through remote learning. I don't know. Hopefully with the Maybe with the vaccines and whatnot, we can get back to some semblance of our more normal routine come September, maybe. How about, you know, how about a check right now? How are you feeling as a teacher? What are your frustrations? Any small victories so far? Um, well, I'm, I'm glad you're asking after vacation. I think it was pretty <laughs> clear uh, in the days leading up. I think everybody needed everybody needed some time. Uh, and, and honestly, last week, I could really feel a difference. It, it just felt like, you know, coming back to it, I, I, I never want to call this normal, but I think, I think there was just a sense that, okay, this is who we are for this year. Uh, it just felt like conversations with the kids were a little more um, organic and enjoyable. I think everybody's responsibilities are pretty clear right now. Um, it's been a little while, knock on anything, since we've had some real serious technical glitches. That's good to hear. So, um I mean, clearly there are frustrations. Clearly it's not the kind of school we want to be in. Um, and if I, my biggest frustration right now would seem to be what's been going on all year, and that's the, it seems to be all or nothing. I have some students who have, have figured this out as best they can and are really killing it and exceeding expectations. And I have a lot that are just, they're not just floundering, it's, it's just they're not trying. And it's just really sad to see happen, you know, no matter what motivation you attempt, no matter what we're trying, there's just there's too many kids who are just tapped out and, and not really attempting anything. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know that was a big issue, an even bigger issue last spring when our district went and basically most of Massachusetts public schools went basically no grades for the last three months of the year. So kids were like, yeah, I'm done. Goodbye. Right. 
So yeah, it seems like a little more engagement considering everything, you know, counts the way it usually counts now. Right. How do you, we didn't talk about this question before, but you brought up, you know, how the students, how are they adapting to this new, <clears throat> new model of learning? Um, any, anything you're seeing from them that is a, has been a positive coming from the students? Uh, well, I did think, I, I, my hope from the start was that this would lead to a little bit more accountability, that because we can't do everything that we always used to do as teachers, there'd be a little bit more of, well, I better figure this out on the part of the students. Um, large and small, you know, all of this hybrid stuff, you know, the students are much better at reminding us if we're still on mute as we get rolling <laughs> discussion. Um, you know, you're not in present mode yet. Um, so a lot of those little things have been smoothed over. I think everybody's got a kind of a comfort level with it. Um, I, I think they're adapting to to whatever the teachers are pulling out, whether it's the Socrative, the Pear Deck, um, some of the different platforms that we're using, um, and even just things that I wouldn't have thought of, just you know, organizing Google Classroom. Um, the number of emails that come into their mailboxes yeah. is just staggering. Staggering. So, so how to get a handle on you know eight hundred emails, um, so they don't just become background noise and they get filtered and filed. So it's it's been a lot, um, but I give them credit for for sharing with the teachers when something's up, and um, and again for most of them for just kind of soldiering on. Yeah. If this if there's one, and I hope there are a lot of positives that come from this, but if there's one thing that I really hope is that maybe some of our students are developing life skills from this time management, like you said, sort of accountability, and perhaps that they'll be able to take that and use it going forward, you know, much, much more so maybe than perhaps some of the, some of the, you know, basic reading, writing skills that are valuable, but might not be so valuable as how they change as a person through this. Yeah. Um, so talking about the reading, the writing, what, how has your department try, what are you trying to focus on considering all the limitations that you have with this model? Well, you recall from your days as an English teacher, we used to be kind of grateful for what our state frameworks were in comparison to other subjects. Yeah. Um, so we're not a content driven subject area. We don't need to have students, you know, prepared with all kinds of information, whether it's for MCAS or any other thing. So what we did is, is at the start of the year, we looked at what we had always done for freshmen, for sophomores, et cetera, for those courses. And we said, okay, it's definitely gonna be slower this year because of hybrid, who's in the building, who's not in, uh, in us learning on the fly. And we just established a couple of frameworks per grade level. We said at a minimum, this will absolutely happen. We will cover this and we will cover this. And then there was sort of that second layer that said, okay, if it goes real well, if a group takes it and runs with it, this is the next layer we'll add on. So what that's gonna allow us to do is you know, when sophomores come through next year, we'll know what the freshmen definitely got and we'll know what maybe traditionally they would have gotten but didn't have time for. Kind of the same way, you know, most of our courses, the research assignment comes in the second half. Right. So we know this year for a lot of students, they didn't get to do a research assignment last year. So we had to scale things down a little bit uh, and make sure, okay, what is it that they absolutely have to know about doing research online versus it will be nice if they also have this. It almost sounds like we're getting to what I know as English teachers, we always wanted more quality and less quantity. Exactly. It's, it's skills development. 
Yeah. Yep, yep. We want these skills. It doesn't matter if you read six books, as long as you can read one and go more in depth and really do yeah. a good job with it. So, obviously, with my focus on technology and the podcast focus on technology, what are some of the new things, new skills or tools you've begun to use or you've seen the students begin to use uh, in this model of learning that we're in? Um, well, certainly I've added, you know, where I had maybe started to scratch the surface of something like a Pear Deck application. Um, I've gotten much more adept at putting together information there and then using the student paste features. Um, I'd always heard good things about Edpuzzle, um, but I'm getting a little more fluent with that right now. So it's nice to have, it's nice to have enough tools that we're not in a rut that it's the same thing day after day. But I also wanted to be careful at the start of the year and not have, you know, 12 new tools, which would again come back to the kids would, would struggle with a lot of things and not be able to do anything well. So I didn't want the, the technology to become, you know, the story of the classroom. So it's, it's been very useful as far as I'm concerned. I feel better about Pear Deck and Edpuzzle to name two. And then for the students, I think for them, I, I feel for them because, you know, they've, they've got five teachers a day. Yeah. So even if I'm using Pear Deck one way, there might be somebody else doing it slightly differently. Or when I try to consolidate a lot of my Google Classroom posts so they're not getting 23 pings, you know, maybe somebody else is, is sending a flurry of things out there. So I think the students are probably a lot more nimble as far as, oh, yeah, yeah, this is one way Google Classroom works. And uh, this is another way. Well, that's good. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that one of the things that, I've read in, in some of the journals and some of the blogs that I've been looking at yeah, that is almost universal for people, you know, talking about the, the best practices for either remote or concurrent learning is don't try to use too many tools. Right. Pick one or two that you feel comfortable with, that you know the kids are comfortable with, and use those so you don't spend half your time teaching them how to use the technology, rather you're using the technology to help teach the content. Right. And, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, this year is frustrating enough for a lot of reasons. So we don't need to add the frustration of, you know, learning something new before we can do anything with it for ourselves or the kids. I agree. Actually, you just you just gave me an idea for another podcast episode. I want to talk to a student. Yeah, great. From a student's perspective and find out how he or she is dealing with this. Um what recommendations, you know, what would they say to the teachers if they could? That's Things a great like that. plan. I'll have to start taking notes on that. Um, so we are, our district is doing the concurrent model, which is we're teaching half the kids at home, roughly half the kids at home and half the kids in person every day, trying to teach them the same thing at the same time, which I think is, and I'm pretty sure you'd agree, that's probably the hardest thing to do hmm. rather than all in person or all remote. So some people are saying, you know, this is going to, this whole experience is going to revolutionize. It is going to change the way education uh, is, is uh, presented in the future. Do you see things that we've learned that we definitely, or you would definitely incorporate going forward, you know, back to if we ever get there to a, a all in-person classroom, or do you think there are some limitations with, that idea that this is going to spur the next education revolution? That's kind of a loaded question, but. 
Yeah, well, like, I mean, I, there's certainly both sides to it. So I'll start with what's, you know, what's going to stick around. We're, we're never going to, we're never going to see January 2020 again, right? Yeah. School will never be, be like that. Um, for, for the positive reasons, I would say, you know, for, for a student who's out on any given day, you know, the yeah. fact that you can now do things that are student paced. So, so if a student missed one of my presentations that was run as a pair deck, I can, I can file, I can send that file to them. I can, I can organize my Google classroom better. I think the, you know, students accessing materials is, is going to be much, uh, much broader and much better for all of this. Um, and I think, you know, every teacher has to be picking up, I would hope has to be picking up two or three really good tools, whether they're online platforms or assignments. Um, you know, we can do, we can do group assignments right now with two students in the building and one at home with the breakout rooms and things like that. So there's a lot of stuff that you know, we're only, what are we, six months into the school year? You know, yep. the, the learning curve has been astounding. So I think as we continue to, to grow with this, I mean, we're all basically first year teachers this year. Yes, I've been saying that to a lot of people. Right. So as we process that, yeah, there's definitely a lot of good stuff that's, that's going to stick around. Uh, but I think anybody who thinks this is the way forward is somebody who doesn't have school-aged children anymore <laughs> and who thinks that education is completely about content. Because every, I'm sure every teacher you're talking to and most of the kids will say, what we really miss are those little moments that... You know, I was just talking to a student, a sophomore on, on Friday. She wore her, her Queen concert T-shirt uh, to school. And I got to say, you know, I knew I'd like you. I knew we'd be friends because I saw them twice back in the day and I was at Live Aid. Yep. In those little moments when you can talk to a kid about where they might have gone skiing or their dance recital or, or any of that stuff, those bonding things spur all the content. Yeah. Right. Once anything that the kid knows, the students know you're on their side is helpful. And okay. it's, it's, it's hard to generate that in the hybrid model. And then even if it is content driven, you think about the act of, you know, stopping what you're doing at home, reaching to click a button and either typing in a question or asking if you can unmute or the, the, the steps that sound tiny and insignificant, but it's much easier to, to just not bother when you're at home, as far as communicating with the teacher, asking questions, et cetera. So there are some pluses coming out of this, but if, if this is the future of teaching, then um, my retirement <laughs> will be a, a welcome thing. It's a little earlier than expected. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was hoping that, <clears throat> and maybe this is, this is happening. Um, I haven't been able to get into as many classrooms as I usually like to because at least to observe and, and sort of just take in what people are doing because for the most part we've been still in triage mode you know mm -hmm. this camera's not working here Google Meet's not working for this person and, and trying to fix those things but I you know I, I agree with you that the challenge and the, and, the, and the most gratifying aspect of teaching is those you know, non-curriculum moments when you, you're just talking to a student as a person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's a movie, it's a TV show, it's a book, it's a concert, uh, whatever. And I, I, I was I'm hoping, and one of the things I want to look at as I, as I go forward the rest of this year is how, how are teachers trying to create those moments with 
the kids who are at home using whatever tools are possible. You know, maybe it's a Pear Deck question slide that says, you know, what's your favorite band or how are you feeling today or things like that. Right. And, I, you know, I want to try to see if, if we're able to do that, if people are, are focusing on that or we're still just treading water and, and keeping our, you know, keeping our head above sea level yeah. and trying to get through this and maybe sacrificing what, you know, you say and what I, what I think are some of the most important parts is that that more human connection. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you've been able to see any of that or. It's, there's uh, been a couple of ways that I've sort of stumbled into, um, you know, my sophomores were reading the catcher in the rye right now. And uh, one of the issues the main character Holden Caulfield has is he, he doesn't want to grow up and face adulthood. And um, he loves the museum displays in the museum of natural history where everything's frozen. And he always liked that everything was always the same every time he went. So on Friday, for example, I asked my students a question in Google Classroom that said, if there was any one day you could freeze from your life and go back and visit anytime you wanted, what would you pick and why? What made it that important? So there's some you know, academic connection to what we're reading and it helps them relate to the character. But that also allowed me as I read those over the weekend that when students came back in today online or in person, I could have that conversation, you know, so the, the one who clicks in a little bit early, I could say, oh, you know, I read your thing about that day you spent it loud at the speedway. And that sounded really cool. Um, when I do grammar, which sounds perpetually boring and dry, um, whatever type of sentence I'm asking them to write and punctuate, I can frame that with write a sentence about a pet you have or once had with, you know, that kind of construction. So there are ways to work it in. Um, and those are the days I'm really glad I'm an English teacher because in AP chemistry and in, yeah. you know, pick another subject that seems so, so daunting and content driven. I really admire and respect everybody who's kind of putting up that fight right now. Yeah. They have to get to the, get to the finish line, wherever that finish line is. Um, so I had one other thought and I'm pausing here because I'm going to edit this out. I, I had a, I had a, I can't think of it. That's <laughs> um, as soon as we click out, it'll, it'll yeah, come it was something that, that you said that spurred on another question about, was it the incorporating? Oh, no, that was it. Yeah, that was it. Okay. So I'm going to pause and then I'm going to yep. ask, ask the question. So you talked about using uh, the, the question function in Google classroom to ask that question about, you know, which day you'd want to freeze forever. Have you noticed in using maybe the Google Classroom question mode or a Pear Deck slide where the students respond, has it, has it been more effective in getting more kids involved with responding to those types of questions than sort of the traditional in-class teacher asks a question and you know, kids raise hands and it's the, you know, it's the one or two kids who always answer. Are you getting, are you finding it that there's more participation when the kids can do it um, electronically, either, you know, through a Google slide or a, or a Google classroom question? Yeah, that's a good point. And that hadn't really dawned on me because, because it's the only way we've been doing it this year. Um, so yeah, you're right. It, depending on the question, if it's, if it's got a certain level of, of personal nature to it, yeah, a lot of a lot of people are going to shrink back from that or not voluntarily give the information. Uh, but we're far enough in the year now. They know, for example, that when I put the Pear Deck answers up on the screen, their name's not associated with it. 
right? Later on, I will see it when I end the session and I can see who answered what. Um, but there's certainly a, a degree of comfort in saying, well, I can put my response out there and not have, you know, figuratively speaking, a whole bunch of eyes turning towards me because that was my answer. Um, and then, you know, there are different functions. You know, the, the Google question can't have the name associated with it. So you can see that. So it depends on the type of question you want to ask. Right. But no, absolutely. When there's that expectation that everybody's going to answer, um, that definitely gives me a, a more rounded picture of, of all the possible answers to a question like that. And any kid who might be stuck, a student who might be stuck, they'll see some of these other responses and think, oh, okay, I, hmm. I do have something to say. So, yeah, I, I do think that's one of the positives. Hopefully that'll be something that carries over when everybody comes back to the classroom, because I think the fact that everybody now has access to a, to a device, either a, you know, Chromebook, a laptop, and, you know, even going back to when I was still in the classroom, having the kids use their phones, text in responses. Hopefully that's something that, that teachers will incorporate going forward to get more kids who perhaps aren't as comfortable raising their hand in the middle of the class and stating something to, to participate in, in the class. I agree. One, Go ahead. <laughs> I just have one final question. I didn't know if you wanted to add something to that part. No. Go ahead. All right. So one final question. Again, I didn't. I didn't prep you for this one, but it just occurred to me. So, if you could build your time machine, as we often talk about building time machines, and going back to late August of 2020, what advice would you give yourself to? better prepare you for what we've had to deal with the first half of the school year? I would, I would have gotten more of those. I don't want to say personal sounds like I'm being nosy, but I would have, I would have found more ways to incorporate the students own lives into the work. I think um, I definitely pride myself on being an organized person and on sort of mapping out and, and accomplishing what I, what I hope to accomplish. And I think I was pretty wooden at the start of the school year. Um, I don't think you were alone in that. <laughs> yeah. So I think if, if I could have um, asked the questions that would have spurred a little more conversation, it, it certainly would have probably eased some of the students' anxieties about participation. And, you know, I think they always knew I was on their side. Um, but, you know, finding a little more out about their summer, about their weekend, about their pets, um, I found out some great stuff in like late October about how awful a 25 minute lunch is when you're at home and you're not yeah. just walking into a cafeteria that the food's all ready. Um, I didn't find out about the mailboxes until yep. October, you know, so just anything that would have helped me sort of rally more and say, we, we can, we can work on this. We can, we can do something about this. So yeah, that would be probably be to loosen up a little bit. All right. Thank you as always for your insights and uh, hopefully you'll have good luck the rest of this year. And um, thank you again for being on. Hi, hey, welcome Tom. Thank you. Always a pleasure. That's all for this week's episode. I'd like to thank Kevin Redmond for joining me again and sharing his thoughts about how things are going in Tingsboro's concurrent learning model. In our next episode, I'll talk to some high school students and get their perspective on learning during the pandemic. If you want to leave us a message, you can do so from the Anchor app on your phone by clicking the message button. If you'd like to suggest a future topic or a future guest for Teacher Tech Talk, you can leave a voice message or send me an email. 
For my email address, check out the show notes page on my website, bit.ly backslash Varnum blog. That's bit.ly backslash Varnum blog. You can also find this information on the podcast homepage, anchor.fm backslash teacher dash tech dash talk. As always, remember, don't be afraid to try something new in the classroom. I'll catch you next time.